Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. COPD, or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, is the third leading cause of death in the United States. Approximately 150,000 people die from this each year. Smoking is responsible for 80% of the cases of COPD, but the other 20% are related to exposures to air pollution, secondhand smoke, and occupational or workplace exposures. Luckily, we've seen a little decline in the number of people diagnosed, but it's still a major health concern as most people don't realize that COPD is the cause of their low lung function. Valerie Chang from Hawaii's COPD Coalition is in the studio. She's brought along some friends, Bobby Tagawa and Bernie Suriano from the Central Oahu Physical Therapy Specialist Group, and we'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 or toll free from our neighbor islands at 877 Before we do that, in medical news, we have four of the Hawaii Pacific Health summer research students who are going to talk about some of the programs that they were working on and the research they were doing this summer. They just had a big presentation last week, did a fantastic job, and their abstracts of all of their projects are going to be available in the Hawaii Medical Journal. And so we're going to talk with them today. We have four students who have worked really hard this summer doing some research right here in the islands to come up with some information that will really help pretty much every one of us in, in things that go on in our medical health and also as we get older. Now, first we have Ali Gu. Ali, you were working on a palliative care experience and working with a colleague of mine, Dr. Sherry Saito. Ali, tell us a little bit about what happened during your research project and what you discovered. So for my summer research program, we looked at the palliative care service program at Straub Clinic and Hospital from 2010 to 2013. And we were interested in people's CPR preferences and whether or not they were able to get to hospice or if they unfortunately died in the hospital. And we found that many people come in and they get a consultation and they change their CPR preferences. From do CPR to don't? Correct. So after they speak with the service and find out about maybe what are the chances of them recovering or or getting better, or getting out of the hospital, when they realize their medical condition, maybe they don't necessarily want to have everything done. Correct. Do you think that physicians like myself get people involved in thinking about these decisions enough in the clinic before they get to the hospital, or do we need to do a better job of that? Um, So one of the suggestions that we make at the end of our study is um, to helpfully shift the discussion of palliative care to outpatient settings and um, to help facilitate clinics that um, help support clinics that facilitate advanced care planning because it's better to do it earlier rather than later. Sure, absolutely. Before someone's in the hospital and it's not like there isn't anything else you're worried about. You know, you're there, Mm -hmm. you're a captive audience, very true, but wouldn't it be nice if you could go home, think about some decisions, talk with some family members. So overall, the research you found is it's great when it happens in the hospital, but probably better if it were to start in the clinic. Exactly. That's a good point to make. Now, you're currently studying at the uh, University of Puget Sound. What are you studying? Um, molecular and cellular biology. Okay, and plans in the future? Um, I'd like to go to medical school here in Hawaii. 
Fantastic. We'd be lucky to have you. Excellent work that you did this summer. All right. For our next project, we have Lindsay Curacao. You did some work on the effect of bariatric surgery on a serious liver condition and whether or not doing that type of weight loss surgery helped the liver condition. Yes. So what did you find? Um, we found that with we looked at specifically Ruin Y gastric, gastric bypass okay. surgery, and we found that with um, substantial weight loss, um, NAFLD fibrosis scores improved over the course of a few years. But if they don't like if they don't maintain their weight loss, then this fibrosis scores get worse, and their fatty liver gets worse. So we're talking about a score that relates to the amount of damage in the liver from having too much fat in the liver. And yes. the idea is if you do a surgery for weight loss, you would think that would go away. Yeah. Because, you know, if you've lost a lot of weight, then you won't have any further fat stuck in your liver causing this damage of fibrosis. And so what you're saying is it does work, but if you don't keep it up, yeah. you're going to have troubles again. Yes. Okay. And that can be a scary proposition, particularly if you've gone to the trouble of doing that surgery and then you wind up having a liver problem. Okay. And so you're currently, you're studying at the University of Rochester in New York. Yep. What are you studying? Um, Psychology and biology. That's an interesting combination. Yeah. And where do you want to go with that? Um, I want to go to medical school as well. Okay, you might be a future classmate of Ali Ghoul. You never know. <laughs> Hopefully. Fabulous. Okay, come back to the islands, maybe practice here and yeah. help everybody out with some fantastic knowledge. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. All right. We also have Kayla Murata. Kayla, you are working on the short and long-term outcomes of the treatment of babies with a very particular stomach condition. They're born with their intestines outside of their body. And that has a name that I am not going to try and pronounce, but I'm going to make you do it. Yes, it's called gastroschisis. Gastroschisis. Okay. (laughs) And so intestines are outside of the body, and this is a dangerous condition when you're born. Mm -hmm. And so what exactly were you looking at related to this condition? We looked at the past five years, patients at Kapiolani that were born with this condition, We just looked at the factors that were affecting their length of stay because once they were born or transferred to Kupilani, they immediately were admitted, of course. And after um, a few, maybe a few days to a week, they would undergo a major surgery to reduce the defect or the intestines being outside of their body. To like put them back in. Mm -hmm, Put it back in. And there are also a lot of complications with feeding as well and slow weight gain that the neonatologists have to monitor. So you were looking at the long-term outcomes of babies in this situation and also the Mm short-term outcome and how successful it was when they had the corrective surgery. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Now, you just graduated. Congratulations. Thank you. And you were at Loyola Marymount. And so what are you going to do now? I'm continuing my research with uh, Dr. Kabor, who I did research with this summer at Kupiolani. We actually are going to look... Further back, because we collected data from 2009 to 2013, so we're going to go back three more years to collect more data um, to, you know, increase our sample size and to maybe um, find more. And maybe have a protocol that other facilities taking care of babies with the same problem can follow. Yeah, because this condition is so rare, the protocols are different throughout the hospitals across the world. Um, So hopefully by increasing your sample size, we will be able to 
we well we hope to plan we hope to um collaborate with other centers to maybe make a standardized protocol for all centers to so how to sure groundbreaking breaking mm-hmm. research really hopefully we're collaborating with um uh hospitals even in Scotland and Canada as well so international mm-hmm. research all right. Well, that makes sense. That's why you're going to continue it. Good. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know that we've got some some world-renowned research happening right here in the islands. Now, last but not least, we have Nina Pierce. And Nina, you were working with Dr. William Tsushima at something called the Impact Score. What happens when you get hit really hard in the head and have a concussion? What did you find out about Impact Scores? Well, this summer we looked at the two-year test-retest reliability of the impact, which sounds like a lot, but we basically looked at non-concussed high school athletes' impact scores in ninth grade and then again two years later in 11th grade uh, to see if they changed or not. And our results were actually kind of mixed. Some of our statistics supported the idea of retesting our athletes, and then our other statistics that we ran said that, you know, it might not actually be necessary. So it's a step in the right direction, but right now further research is needed. So the impact score is basically the idea is you do this test before you have any sort of head injury or concussion. Exactly, yes. The impact, we only looked at baseline scores, and the impact is just uh, 20-minute computerized neuropsychological test, which gives a good objective measure of an athlete's cognitive functioning. And hopefully they don't get hit in the head, but the Mm -hmm. idea is that if they have a lot of concussions, you can then check it afterwards and see if there's been a difference and kind of monitor their cognitive abilities to make sure that they get back to their baseline. Exactly. Yes, it's a very useful tool. And the more we know about these tests and the reliability of the impact, the better off our athletes will be. Well, and we've been looking a lot about concussions in student athletes, and that's something that uh, there is actually, for those of you interested in brain injury and sports, there's going to be a meeting tomorrow at Kapilani Medical Center for Women and Children, uh, hosted by one of our guests on the show, Dr. Robert Sloan, who's going to be talking a little bit about brain injury and sports, and it's open to the public, and this is an event that really can help people who are interested in a little bit more information about concussions to hear about it from someone that we've actually talked to on the show about it as well, and uh, that's over at Kapilani. It looks like it's on their auditorium, second floor, tomorrow, 5.30 to 7.30. It's going to be a great uh, a great way to hear more about the impact score and also about concussions. Now, Nina, you're currently at Scripps College, is that right? Yes, that is correct. Fantastic. And what what are you studying? Uh, I'm majoring in psychology. Wonderful. And your plans <laughs> in the future? The plans are to come back home and go to medical school here, hopefully. All right. And travel. <laughs> yes. I say travel. that to your father, and he knows me, and he's going <laughs> to regret the fact that I had a chance to tell you to travel today. And, oh, and have him pay for it. Exactly. Yes, you hear that, Daddy Pierce. (laughs) You know, I'm talking to you. All right, well, I want to thank all of you for doing that research and really helping transform what's going on medically right here in Hawaii. I hope those of you who want to come back, go to school here, please do so. We could use some great medical expertise. We could always have space for more folks to help us to take care of the people here in the islands. So thanks for giving up your summer in between your years of college or right afterwards to help us improve the medical community. So again, thanks to all of you for being here today. Now, we're going to be talking in just a few moments with Valerie Chang. We're going to be talking about chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. If you have it and you ever wanted to share what it felt like to breathe, 
please give us a holler. We'd like to hear from you. I'd like to hear from some folks who have COPD and what are their biggest challenges. And hopefully we can help to explain ways to meet those challenges. We'll be joined shortly by two physical therapists who are going to be talking about how to stay physically active, even though you may have this obstructive pulmonary lung disease. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Valerie, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Yes. Glad to be here. Happy you're here. We've had you on before. We've talked about COPD. And one of the things that I wanted to do is sort of start out with defining it. Everyone hears those acronyms, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. How would you describe it, Val? Well, the simplest way to talk about it is like it's an umbrella and it covers several different conditions because a lot of people get very upset because they've here they have COPD, and then the next time they hear they have emphysema, and then they have bronchitis, but they don't realize they're all related and they're all under the COPD umbrella. It basically is when you have um, your airways are floppy, and they they don't um, they don't uh, return to they don't have the elasticity of like a new balloon. It's like a floppy balloon, and it just doesn't get out the air. It traps the air. And so you always feel like you're breathing through a coffee stirrer instead of people that can breathe normally. Well, that's a really good analogy, breathing through a coffee stirrer. I mean, not even just a straw, but really a coffee stirrer. So it's a condition where, you know, COPD encompasses several different things. Emphysema is under that umbrella. Chronic bronchitis is under that umbrella. So really the condition of COPD has several different variations. Correct. And actually a lot of people are calling chronic asthma a part of it as well. Uh, Of course, gold medal winners of the Olympics can be asthmatics, but they do not have chronic asthma because when they use their medications, they're better than most of us. Versus people with chronic asthma, you, you can use your medicine as directed, but it never quite gives you normal lung function. And so that's really a big distinction. Yes. Is that when we talk about chronic asthma, we're not talking about use your puffer, use your inhaler, and get back to baseline. We're talking about the fact that you can't. Well, you use it so that you can keep functioning. Sure, you can function, but you may not get to that normal lung function at the end of that. Okay. Well, there's some scary statistics that, you know, I was looking up earlier about COPD. It's the third leading cause of death in the United States. In 2010, one of the years that they had, the American Lung Association had data, 135,000 people passed away from that. Um, In 2011, again, their most recent year of data, 12.7 million U.S. adults aged 18 and over were estimated to have it. However, close to 24 million have evidence of impaired lung function. And that indicates that we're not diagnosing enough people. who actually have this problem. So more than two out of three don't know they have it. One out of three know they have it and hopefully appropriately are able to treat it. It mentioned that um, the prevalence varies throughout the United States, anywhere from 4% in Washington to 9% in Alabama. And I think the rates in Hawaii were somewhere in the 5 or 6% range when they were looking at that in 2011. And so, you know, this is a scary sort of a lung condition. I don't think there's a lot of public awareness enough about this. Now, we mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, 80% of people diagnosed with COPD have some kind of smoking history, but 20% may not have been a smoker. Now, Val, you're pretty open about it. You've been diagnosed 
with COPD, and you never were a smoker. Yes, I have severe emphysema from no known cause. And actually, in the developing world, it's becoming a lot more common for people with no smoking history um, to have COPD. And actually, they're finding more women especially uh, with COPD from secondhand smoke or other exposures. And they are doing a COPD gene study, trying to figure out what genetic factors cause COPD. And there's 10,000 people that the National Institutes of Health are investigating to figure out which genes um, are responsible for COPD and hopefully get some new genetic targets so they can make more effective treatments. Now, do you think that COPD is predominantly genetic? They don't really know, but they do seem to realize it does run in families. And, you know, there's everyone knows the 100-year-old smoker that died with Never perfectly had a problem, healthy sure. okay. everything. and but, but it does make you much more likely to end up with heart and lung and other diseases if you are exposed to tobacco, whether you're smoking it yourself or you're just in an environment where there's a lot of it. Like a lot of um, airline attendants and flight crews, you know, if they were, when we used to fly in the 70s, you were in a you were smoking whether you meant to or not. Yeah, <laughs> the you literally, the airlines, you could, on international flights, you could smoke. And that actually, I think that continued up through the late 80s, even early 90s in international flights. I, I know they have restrictions on it now. So so essentially, you know, for people who have this increased susceptibility, if they're exposed to smoke, it may be more concerning for them. It'll definitely affect their lung function. Then other people might be exposed to it, like you mentioned, the 100-year-old smoker, and maybe not have that effect. Right. So there may be a genetic component. Other than some of the other things we know, alpha-1 antitrypsin, a pretty rare genetic disease that is associated with the extra effects of smoking and, and emphysematous changes in the lungs, or COPD. And that's actually one of the reasons we do have a... a paper and pen tests that you can do on our website, hawaiicopd.org, where people can figure out if they're at higher risk for COPD, and they might want to go discuss their score with their doctor and see if it's appropriate for them to get a lung function test, where they blow into a tube that's connected to a computer and find out whether their lungs are operating normally or perhaps need a little more investigation. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Valerie Chang from the COPD Coalition. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about this COPD test and questionnaire that you can find online and maybe go through some of the questions in case you wanted to know, are you at risk? We'll be back in just a minute, but do join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Bobby Tagawa and Bernie Soriano, who are physical therapists who specialize in doing physical therapy for people who suffer from lung disease. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Aloha, Hawaii Island listeners. Please join us in beautiful Waimea for the first Applause from the Kahilu, August 24th at 4 p.m. This live performance showcases Big Island talent Ekolo Meanui with Sunny Lim, authentic Paniolo music, and more. HPR staff and volunteers will be at the Kahilo on Sunday the 24th. See you there. Tickets at kahilotheater.org.
We all know, but we don't like to say aloud, that sometimes patients are seen as revenue, not people. There's always been a profit motive in medicine. I'm Kai Rizdal. Modern medicine and money next time on Marketplace. We'll have the rest of the day's business news, of course, and the numbers from Wall Street as well. It's from APM. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. At the beginning of every month, HPR sends out an email newsletter called the eScape with timely information about upcoming events and links to all kinds of detailed sites. If you'd like to receive it, just go to the HPR website at hawaiipublicradio.org and click on About HPR. In the right column, you'll see the sign-up link. We'd love to add you to the mailing list, and it's just a click away. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Remember, each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're talking about chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. We have Valerie Chang from the Hawaii COPD Coalition, and we were just joined by Bobby Tagawa and Bernie Suriano. They are physical therapists working in IAEA and Wahiwa at Central Oahu PT Specialists. And basically their goal is if you've been diagnosed with COPD, to help you realize that you can still function and live life well despite having the lung condition and really help you to maximize your ability to exercise and to keep going with your activities of daily living. And so we just talked before the break about what COPD is. It incorporates several different lung problems underneath the big umbrella, including chronic asthma, chronic bronchitis, and emphysema, and who might be susceptible to it. And Valerie Chang, you mentioned that there is a self-test that you can do on the website, and I thought it might it might be a good idea to go through some of the questions that are asked as part of this self-test so that people who might be listening can hear if they actually want to go to the website and find out if they're at risk. So tell me a little bit more about this, this questionnaire that's on your website, Val. Well, the biggest question to me is whether people are able to do less than they used to because of breathlessness. Some people say, I'm not breathless, but that's just because they don't get off the couch because they don't like being breathless. And so they just slowly cut back more and more on their activity level. And they keep denying being breathless because they just don't move. That's a good point. If you don't move, you're not going to get out of breath. But how do you distinguish that between, okay, I'm just out of shape versus, oh boy, I'm out of breath? On the questionnaire, you probably can't. Yeah, on the questionnaire, it's just they just check. There's, yes, it's just or no. check okay. boxes. There's like six questions or eight questions, and they just check. And one of it is their age, and one of it is their smoking history. If they smoked a hundred or more cigarettes in their lifetime, and one of it is if they are more breathless than usual, and if they're waking up breathless, and those kinds of questions. And you know, you just take all the answer all the questions, and you get a score, and then you take it into your doctor or your healthcare provider and say. You know, is this something we should talk about? And then at least, like when they come to see you, they have talking points. Sure, and we have a we have a reason to initiate a conversation about it. You know, I think you bring up a really good point. If you don't know if you're breathless because you've limited your activities so much, you may not realize that there's actually a problem with your abilities to get up and get around. Now, we have Bobby and Bernie. Bernie, I see you shaking your head like, oh, yeah, if you don't get up off the couch, you're not going to be breathless. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so so how would you gauge somebody who comes to you? Now, they've already 
been told to see a physical therapist, and so there you are. What are some of the things that you hear people say to you when they first come in with this diagnosis of COPD? What sort of activities do they realize they just haven't been doing because they can't? Well, a lot of times it's the basicest things, like as far as ADLs like bathing. They can't even finish bathing themselves or walking out to their mailbox to get the mail. By the time they get back, they're just really out of breath. So it's nothing... Um, you know, sports-related, a lot of times it's just basic everyday activities of daily living, which they have um, significantly worsening problems with. All right. And, Bobby, tell me a little bit about when you see folks, what are your goals when you're talking with them if they have been diagnosed with COPD? What goals do you give them as far as improving their overall activity? Well, we try to find out um, exactly what their goals are. So, you know, as as Bernie mentioned, whatever specific uh, problems they're having with their activities of daily living, try to address those. So, as an example, if they are having claims that they can't get up from their chair um, or stand for very short periods of time, even less than a minute, then we look for um, impairments associated with that. Some of it could be lower extremity weakness. And, so uh, like their legs are weak yeah. or maybe yeah. they have back pain or yeah. something else. Yeah. Now, your your best patient, your best situation, your your shining story, everybody likes to have that person that did so fabulous they can't even believe it and amazing how much better they got. Do you guys have one of those? Do you have somebody you know of, Bernie, that really inspired you when you saw how much better they got? And how long did it take them? Um, I actually have, yeah, direct experience. My uncle, um, he had COPD and then, um, so he came to me, um, and his goal, I mean, he's an avid golfer. He just wanted to get, to be able to walk nine holes. Um, not even 18. He was not, just going He just wanted nine. nine. So okay. I said, let's get nine. Um, so he came, I mean, his, you know, his PF, his pulmonary function was less than 40%. You know, he is really deconditioned. Um, so what I did, you know, we just started with that big goal in mind and we just broke it down from there. You know, what were, like Bobby said, what are the impairments that were contributing to that? Was there flexibility issues, strength issues? Of course, there's endurance issues. Um, so I worked with him probably off and on for about, I would say, three months or so. Um, and of course, on top of that, he had a pretty regimented home exercise program and thankfully he was an active person previous so he really stuck to the program um but when he saw things working he started to even follow that even more religiously so at the end of three i would say maybe maybe a little bit after that maybe by four or five months he was able to walk the nine holes and i remember he called me he called me at the end of that and he he was just like singing praises like bernie you're not going to believe this i just did nine holes I said, what did you shoot? He's not, that's not, doesn't matter. I, shot, I, I walked nine holes. <laughs> said, okay. Well, and the fact that, you know, you had walked this journey with him yeah. and had really started from he couldn't do much yeah. to now he's done the nine holes. Yeah. I mean, that is a huge celebration. That's quite a success story that really inspired him, I imagine, to it tell did. everybody, it, he did, you know, yeah. continue to work on this. Yeah. And, you know, in his condition with COPD, you said his lung function was less than 40%. So, you know, he was working on... Very very minimal lung function, and to be able yes. to do nine holes, that's huge. For him, yes. That's yeah. significant. Now, is he still walking the golf course? How's he doing? Um, 
this was actually maybe seven years, eight okay. years ago. So unfortunately, no, not not as much. Okay. But he still gets around. Well, and I think that's one of the points, Valerie, is that, you know, when you have COPD and you are living proof, it doesn't have to stop you from enjoying your life. There are still some things that you can absolutely participate in and do. And tell me, as someone who's been diagnosed with it, how do you feel it has changed your life? How do you feel it has changed your ability to do things that you used to do? And have you accommodated to that? Um, The one thing I noticed is when I talked as a judge for like four hours at a time, Sometimes I'd kind of run out of breath at the end of four hours talking like an auctioneer. But you know, that's kind of my, my doctors all say, well, most people can't talk nonstop for four hours. So that's, yeah, I'm that's thinking, actually pretty judge, far. Four hours? That's a long time. Okay. But, I don't want to be sitting somewhere getting a lecture for four hours. From no, you. no, no, no. Okay. You have 20, 200 pa- uh, people in front of you. Yeah, and you, sure. You absolutely. talk with each of them for five minutes. Right. That's, there you go. That's your four hours. But actually, because I have been very fortunate in staying fairly conditioned all my, the 14 years since I've been diagnosed, most people can't tell I have any lung disease. And I still travel. I still, I just came back from Yellowstone with my family. I I keep pretty busy. Um, I do prioritize. And if I'm feeling really poorly, I cut back on my activity level until I'm feeling better and I build up again because... Crashing and burning is really a bad thing. <laughs> so you listen to your body. I, I'm learning how to. Okay. I've been scolded a lot for not, and I have not gotten an infection because I'm listening better. Okay, and body. when you said you you were listening, at, was there a time and when at at which you weren't really paying close attention to what your body was saying, and your condition was getting worse, and you just didn't know it or didn't address it? I used to get sick at least four times a year. So frequent it, illness in someone with respiratory issues. is a really bad thing. It could be a bad thing. And in addition, it's a sign to be concerned about. Yeah. And actually, it's a sign that you need to reevaluate your activity level and do things smarter. It's not that you don't do it. You just do it smarter and you plan it out better. And maybe instead of doing 20 of the things you were planning to do in the next three days, you do seven this next three days and then you pace it out and do a bunch more over a little longer period of time and don't don't burn it all at one time now bobby when we when we hear about people who talk about having copd or emphysema um, chronic bronchitis is in that category when they come to you as a therapist how how do you monitor how they're doing? Do you monitor oxygen levels? Do you monitor how they physically appear to be exerting themselves? How is it that you can see when to push them and when to pull back? Yeah, it, all of the above. So we, we monitor their vitals for sure. So we're checking their oxygen levels, their heart rate, their rate of perceived exertion. There's, uh, there's we, we try to keep them at a moderate level of intensity, and that's based on their rate of perceived exertion. That scale usually is, is a 6 to 20-point scale. You can modify it from a 0 to 10 scale. So we try to keep them at that moderate level, which is usually about a 6 to 7 on a 0 to 10 scale. So we there, there are symptoms associated with that, with the breathlessness and weakness and fatigue, um, we definitely individualize it to that patient. So we, we know when to 
scale back based on how they're reporting their symptoms to us. So basically, it's really not just your assessment, but it's also their assessment. How do they feel? What is What do they feel is their capacity? And it's it sounds like it's a much more detailed process than, you know, somebody who doesn't have a lung condition presenting to a therapist saying, okay, I feel like I'm exerting myself. You have to consider this is also somebody who could potentially have some lung problems if they work too hard and overdo it. Well, definitely. As, as Valerie... Um had mentioned earlier, I mean, you, you definitely have to scale back, identify um, based on your communication with the person or patient at hand um, when they're being pushed too hard. And again, that's, we use like objective numerical values for them to explain that information to us. So if they're on that zero to 10 scale complaining that they're getting to like an eight or nine, we would scale back. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Valerie Chang from the Hawaii COPD Coalition, Bobby Tagawa and Bernie Suriano from Central Oahu Physical Therapists. We're talking about COPD, and if you have it or you know someone who does, we'd love to hear from you and how you feel this has affected your life and if you found any tricks on how to modify what you're doing to try and help you to achieve the same goals, maybe in a different fashion. You can join us at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Valerie, you said you used to get sick four times a year, and you haven't, and I won't ask you how long because I don't want to jinx you. Um, But that being said, when you've had those respiratory illnesses, how much did that set you back from your baseline level of activity? I mean, did you feel like for three or four weeks or even three or four months, you weren't able to get back to doing what you were used to? I think it just depends on how sick you let yourself get. And that's the other thing is to learn, have a written COPD action plan with your doctor and to learn how to get intervention or call your doctor much sooner. I used to be very stoic and wait until the last minute and I'd be really, really sick by then. But I we've gotten better at calling sooner and starting antibiotics or whatever needed to be started much sooner. And so when I start sooner I recover much sooner and much more completely. And when I start really late, I can even need oxygen just sitting. So a lot. You've really seen that big difference. (laughs) So, you know, when you have to wear oxygen even sitting, that's, that's something you don't forget. Now, you mentioned this action plan. What exactly is in the action plan? How would you describe your action plan? An action plan is very much like an asthma action plan. It's just a written guideline that you and your doctor or other healthcare provider work out as to, you know, what your normal is and what your symptoms are in normal and what treatments you're taking normally. And then when you're feeling a little different, like you're a little more breathless, you get breathless more easily, you start having discolored mucus or any other symptom you and your doctor agree is significant. Sure, lowering of your lung function or difficulty climbing up the stairs or whatever it might be. And then you write down what you should do at that point and at what point you should call the doctor, what point you need to present yourself to the ER. And, you know, if there's any steps you should be taking in the interim. Um, And each patient is very different. Some patients go from 
fine to needing to go to the ER in very little time. And I'm sure those are the ones that keep you awake. Those are the ones that make me very nervous. Sure. And it's unfortunate because you're right. Sometimes you don't have a warning and you've got a couple of hours from I feel great to I can't breathe. So you're right. I do have a few folks who unfortunately have COPD diagnosed that bad. One of them is chronic asthma that has gotten worse to that point. And you're right. It's really hard when you've when you've progressed so rapidly to look back and say, what could I have done differently? Often the answer is nothing. Yeah. You really couldn't have. But for some of us, we do get some warnings. And so if we listen to our bodies a little more, and like Bernie and um, Bobby say, if you, you, you have the feedback when you are, you know, take doing activity so that you can tell whether you're, you know, helping your body and getting stronger or overdoing it and more likely to be getting yourself sick by trying to do too much too soon. Like if your your uncle tried to walk the whole nine holes the day after you guys started it, <laughs> that would have been a bad thing. Very bad, <laughs> very bad. <laughs> now, I'm curious, uh, Bernie, when you talk about your uncle, now he's not able to do the nine holes. His condition has progressed. But when he was just trying, before he got to that point, how is it that you got him motivated to start working on it? Because... It's got to be a hard task. If you're already feeling breathless, even just walking around the house, somebody saying, okay, you're going to walk a mile or two just seems like forget it. So how do you motivate somebody in that situation to help them to see that maybe they could really do it? Um, I think it starts with the little things. I mean, you know, when you first start to introduce a patient or a person to exercise, you start with little tangible things that that they can reach more short-term goals. Um, of course, you educate them about the big-term goal or the long-term goals, but things like, you you know, talking about just basic trying to improve their breathing um, to make that a little more efficient. And from there, you know, not necessarily golf the nine holes, but, you know, if you just continue with these exercises or this breathing, do give a couple of exercises, um, notice how you feel now when you walk Walk to the walk to your car. Notice how you feel when you walk up that flight of stairs. You know, start with things small like that, and things that he can see or feel or notice. Hey, you know what? Today I walked that flight of stairs, not too bad. You know, and just make those things, um, like Valerie was saying, spread out a little more tangible, just to make sure they can reach that goal before progressing to the next goal. But it has to be really relevant to that person. Well, and it sounds like it needs to be very personalized. Very much and so. And that's where you're going to get your motivation. Yes. And so, Val, we're going to talk after a quick break about what gets you motivated. Because not only are you someone who's living with COPD, but you've also established a COPD coalition here in Hawaii to help everybody else to understand about this this illness and what they can do to help themselves. So. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll be back in just a minute with Valerie Chang from Hawaii COPD Coalition with our physical therapist from Central Oahu PT specialist, Bernie Suriano and Bobby Tagawa. And we will be talking some more about living well with COPD. If you or a loved one have it, we'd love to hear from you, hear your experiences, and hear if you have an action plan. You can join us at 941 3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Sandy Sukiyama and girlfriends Rachel Gonzalez, Rhea Davis, and Allison Maldonado just want to have fun. It's a tribute to lady songwriters in the Atherton on August 23rd. They'll be singing Aretha Franklin, Laura Nero, Carly Simon, and more. 
Saturday, August 23rd at 7.30. Tickets at hprtickets.org or 955-8821 during business hours. On the next Humankind... Life expectancy in this country was 47 in 1900, and it's, it's close to 80 now, and among some uh, ethnic groups, it's over 80. With extra time, many people are starting new careers later in life. Next time on Humankind. This evening at 6.30, right after Marketplace. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Valerie Chang from Hawaii COPD Coalition. We also have Central Oahu Physical Therapy Specialist Bernie Soriano and Bobby Tagawa. And right before the break, we were talking about motivation and how people can get excited to learn that they can physically do more, even with a chronic illness. If you or a loved one has COPD and has had experience with this, we'd love to hear what motivates you. You can join us at 9 Nine four one three six eight nine on Oahu. Toll free from the neighbor islands eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. Now we've been picking on poor Bernie's uncle, but Bobby, <laughs> you've got some success stories as well. What what comes to mind when you think about people who have done really well living with a chronic lung illness like COPD and yet managing to improve their physical condition? Yeah, well, my um, my memory isn't that far, so um, I got a patient right now. So her her primary um, complaint was her inability to sit in her shower and uh, bathe herself independently. So she requires the assistance of her daughter, and she she's she's um, she's in her mid fifties. So she doesn't want to do that anymore. No, that's sure, kind of that's, sure. that's pretty daunting for somebody of that age and level of independence. It's highly independent person prior to this, but um, so we we broke it down. You know, and for for her, um, she can walk. She can walk, you know, to her bedrooms. She can walk to the mailbox. She's on four liters of O2, nonetheless. But she just can't bathe herself. So her her biggest impairments were she had more intolerance to sitting. Her her trunk stability was poor. Upper extremity strength was was limited, and of course, of course, her overall functional endurance was was limited. So, like Bernie had mentioned. We just chose a lot of uh, to keep, especially to keep her motivated. Um, just a lot of short-term goals, you know, and um, tangible goals, achievable goals. And she she understood that, you know, we're we're not here. We, we want to find a balance. We want to, of course, achieve those goals with some degree of intensity, but at the same time, I'm understanding, you know, from an empathetic standpoint, that we can't push too hard. So the communication was obviously very important. So the little goals that she was able to achieve, like let's just focus on sitting unsupported for 30 seconds. Something that, you know, was highly achievable because upon my initial evaluation of her, it was maybe at 18 seconds. So she she was able to achieve that within two weeks. So it kept her motivated, especially to perform as we would... Um, we would prefer that they pretty compliant with some of the exercises we're having them doing at home, but they're doable, you know, and it's a give and take. So I, when we give an exercise that we want them to perform, not only in the clinic, but at home, 
Um, I don't know exactly how how they're going to respond at home. So they'll come back and they'll communicate, and they may say that was a little bit too much, et cetera, et cetera, and um, we'll modify it. Yeah, so again, we're not here to. We understand there is some um, apprehension to doing quote unquote exercises, but we try to make it, of course, tangible and something achievable for them to perform. Yeah. Well, and I think you brought up a really good point, which yeah. was little goals where you can see that you achieve them. Yeah. You know, nobody learned all of grade school in one year. Yeah. We went through year by year, learned a little bit more, built on that, and that you can achieve the same goals. Even if you have a chronic illness with physical therapy, if you can just at least see some successes, definitely, even yourself, not just as the therapist looking yeah. at it from the from the big picture, but as the person involved in it, looking at it every little step at a time. We've got a caller on the line. We have Wes calling from Anoa. Wes, welcome to the Body Show. Hi, thanks for having me. Great uh, episode. Um, I've got a dear friend who's um, got COPD and. Uh, ironically, uh, he worked at Queens for many decades, and he recently retired. And um, you know, he instead of four times a year, he seems to end up in the ER and become an inpatient uh, as often as four times a month. So I'm um, trying to help him try and uh, you know help uh, get better with this problem. But his retirement party is coming up next month, and. We're kind of concerned <laughs> if you'll get to that point. But um, some of the basic things I've done is I've tried to address his uh, diet and lifestyle. And, for example, if uh, you just even do an online search for something like COPD soda, those two keywords, because I noticed he always would drink, you know, Coke and Pepsi all day long. And um, it's kind of compelling what I found, but I was wondering if you could elaborate on diet and lifestyle for a COPD patient? It's a really good uh, question because here you are with your good friend who wants to, you know, you want him to stay as healthy as possible and what sort of diet or exercise capacity will he have and what can you do to help him? It's a great question. So, you know, Valerie, you've been diagnosed with COPD and, you know, you said something earlier that you used to get sick four times a year and Wes's friend is getting sick four times a month. But you mentioned something really important and you said you've kept yourself in good condition. And I think that's a key to why you're still doing so well. So when we think about somebody who has these sorts of problems who may or may not be in the best of condition, um, what sort of advice would you give, and how important is it, do you think, that someone diagnosed with something like COPD is able to work on their weight, to reduce their weight if it's too much, you know, deal with arthritis or other symptoms of their body, just to try and keep themselves as healthy as possible? Yeah, one of my friends was told by her doctor that she had to lose weight if she wanted to, you know, live, continue to, go, you know, function at a the level she okay. wanted to. So she did lose 100 pounds, wow, and she okay. modified her lifestyle, and she works out like a demon every day <laughs> for one or two hours, and she now travels around the country. Before that, she was told she didn't have much longer to live unless she made some ma some major changes. So, like, she's one of my inspirations. I'm like, it's, it's amazing so to me, but sure. people can do that sort of thing. Right. So I think if people do try to work with their doctor to find a, a diet that's balanced and healthy, I think that helps. And trying to stay near ideal weight so you're not carrying a lot of 
extra pounds or being too light. If you're really, really light and you need to gain some weight, you need to work with your diet your, on your diet for that too. But one of the things they found out is um, water is good for us in general, as as long as you know you don't have heart problems and you have to worry about your fluid intake. But also not taking um, preserved meats. They found that preserved meats are really bad for lung function, which is interesting. Interesting, sure. And it sounds like Wes found something else about soda as a potential concern. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe filling up your stomach with so much air, I can only imagine, put so much extra pressure on your lungs that you can't take deep breaths. And we know that, you know, there's never really been a health benefit of drinking Coke or Pepsi, although... I crave it as well. So, you know, I mean, I understand that there may be some lifestyle issues. And it sounds like, you know, if you work on your diet, you work on your exercise. You mentioned another good point, Val, which is you might be overweight. You might also be underweight. And to work on that as well, because if you don't have enough body weight or if you're on steroids, prednisone is a medication that's often given for people who have COPD, and it can lead to thinning of the bones. And so there are some reasons why you'd want to be extra careful. So certainly a well-taken well point, Wes, what you can do to help your friend is help them with their doctor to achieve a good, healthy diet, do some exercise if possible, even at home. Bernie and Bobby, I bet, for some folks... If they can't physically get up and walk around, can they start, if they're able to, with just like bicep curls and stretches? And does that also help them a bit? Uh, Yes, for sure. I mean, again, it's very individualized, but even patients or people with low physical activity levels, we can do something as even in what we call bed exercises or mat exercises where they physically, if they can't even sit up, for example, Bobby's patient, not even for 18 seconds, we can do things in supine or on their back. Um, scooting in bed, um, turning in bed, those are all require muscular activity, muscular endurance, but are at a low level, safe level as well. You don't have to have a fear of falling and whatnot. So definitely for sure, um, exercise can benefit almost every person at any level. We just have to individualize that program for that person. Sure, and then they have to do it, and which yes, is the, really, the real is key. key. Sure, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, if you're given homework from, from the physical therapist, you, right. you got you to gotta put some effort in and do it. Okay, we've got Ralph on the line from Royal Cunia. Ralph, welcome to the Body Show. Hello, Dr. Kozak. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling us. What can we do for you? Well, I was listening to both the therapists, and they hit several things like walking to the mailbox, uh, simple things around the house and you run out of bread. Well, I'm going through all that. However, uh, mine is a severe case. I've got just over 40% of my lung capacity and that was uh, diagnosed uh, a couple years ago. I don't know if it went to work, it got worse, but anyway, my question is mental, uh, I guess, mental decline because of low oxygen. You know, uh, something like your neurotectron lowered, uh, your body needs that, but because of low oxygen, uh, you're mentally declined at the same time. Uh, but on the COPD side, I pretty well had uh, trained myself to exercise every part of the day that I can. Not so much uh, daytime and nighttime, but 
any time that I feel comfortable, I will exercise. That would be getting on the bicycle, on the treadmill, and uh, <clears throat> lifting weights. And I would do that daily. It would lash me up to uh, 20 minutes each time, and sometimes I go as much as 40 minutes each time, and maybe twice a day on that. Wow, so Ralph, I, that sounds fabulous. So you were able to judge how you felt and vary your routine. How I feel. Exactly. And that's how uh, I exercised. There was one problem I had just recently. It's for uh, coughing, I was, I was having an increase in coughing, so I took cough medicine. Okay, I got body soreness, like muscle aches and stuff. So I took uh, Aleve, lots of it. Headaches, took aspirins. I took a lot of that, too. And, boy, did I get it bad. I didn't realize I was having a flare-up. And uh, it lasted. It didn't last. It's still going on, ongoing right now. It's been uh, nearly two months of uh, antibiotics and uh, something else. Forgot the name, but anyway, it's I've, I'm still on it, and uh, it, it's finally wearing me down. But uh, I can't exercise as much, but I'm trying. It's uh, it's that body weakness, that fatigue, that just never lets up. It just continue to be there. Well, Ralph, I hope that you're able to continue on with your exercise and that after two months you start to see some progress. You mentioned something really important, and that is that, you know, there can be a mental decline. Let's face it, if if your body needs oxygen and you're not getting enough, then you could have some troubles with your memory and other areas. And so, you know, hopefully you'll get back to that great exercise routine that you had. And that's really the key, Valerie, you mentioned it as well, staying physically fit as much as possible. And if you do have those days when you feel like you could do 20 minutes and the other days 40 minutes, you know, do the 40 if you can. Build up your endurance so that over time you'll be able to do that more often. And, you know, that's something that I know Bernie and Bobby work with their clients on is to really help them to, hey, if you have the energy, it doesn't matter what time of day, it might not be your quote exercise hour, but do it anyway. If you have a chance to walk up the stairs instead of taking an elevator, no reason why not. The more you do it, the easier it will get. Now, Valerie, I wanted to talk just for a little while about the fact that, you know, you've been given this diagnosis and you also established the Hawaii COPD Coalition. And we did have someone call in and ask for the website because they wanted to go to do that COPD online test to find out if they had it. So tell us a little bit about the coalition and and just start off for me, if you don't mind, with the website for our caller who wanted to know. Okay, our website is hawaiicopd.org, www.hawaiicopd.org, and on it, it also talks about our Education Day. Um, the reason I started this organization was because I kept wanting to have a place to to learn more and I realized that sometimes you need to build what you want. <laughs> so yeah, you have to be the teacher did. to learn more. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, and we we are also having an education day, which I'm very excited about, which is going to feature Bernie and Bobby and other speakers, and we're also going to bring in um, people, uh, a 
company that's going to bring in about $40,000 worth of different uh, oxygen equipment so that people can try different ones out and figure out which one will best meet their needs in terms of being able to exercise with sufficient amounts of oxygen or travel with oxygen. Because, for example, I don't need oxygen day to day, but I do need it to fly. And I do need it um, when I'm going to altitude. So some people might be in that same um, situation. And so we're bringing this gentleman in and that's going to bring in lots of different types of oxygen equipment. And it's all going to be on Saturday, September 13th um, at Queen's Conference Center from 9 to 2. And more information is at our website, hawaiicopd.org. And they can also get brochures at all the public libraries on Oahu. They all have brochures and they all have uh, brochure um, flyers about the event. Well, and that's really important because you must have worked hard to get it to all the public uh, libraries. But in addition, I often see people, and I wonder, if they're physically having trouble getting up and getting around, how are they going to drag that oxygen tank behind them? I mean, that must be physically hard for them. If they can, if they have a hard time walking themselves, it just adds to the difficulty. So I imagine there's some newer ways that oxygen can be supplied that doesn't seem to be so onerous. Well, there's lighter forms of portable concentrators, and there's heavier ones. And it's good to see the trade-offs, and this gentleman will have the different machines available so people can can actually lift them up and decide whether they can actually get it in and out of the car. Because if they're not going to move it, it's not going to be used. And a lot of them have nice big wheels so you can get over gravel if you have when I That's was, an important thing, absolutely. If you want to be outdoors, yeah, when if was, you want to walk around the park, how do you bring this machine that doesn't... Yeah, when I was at Yellowstone, my husband had to keep lifting it over the gravel because it didn't really do well on the gravel. And now we have a machine with bigger wheels, so it would actually manage the gravel. Um, the other thing is if people can't get to our education day, we also have support groups that meet once a month at both Polymomi and at Kui, um, Kaiser Honolulu. So people can go to our website again and find out more about that. Or they can call me, um, 808-699-9839. That's 808-699-9839. We do have support groups that meet once a month, and we talk about a lot of these topics and other topics that patients are interested in. Well, and it certainly sounds like you've provided a great service. And Bernie and Bobby, if someone's interested in physical therapy, they can talk to their doctor. And if they wanted to come to you guys in particular, you're in central Oahu, Iaea, and Wahiwa. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Okay. And how would they get in touch with you? Um, our phone number for our office is um, 808-450-9250. And in Iaea, we're located across from Polymomi at that Bank of Hawaii building. Okay, so we've got some great options for folks, and we'll have some of that information also available on our website as well. I want to thank all of you for sharing your expertise with us today. The hour just flies by. If you want to hear this program again, you can go to hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. Thanks to both of you, for all three of you, for being on. And I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week. We're going to talk some more about skin care Monday on The Body Show. See you then. Woo!